Are you ready for some nosy bitches? Because this is about to get explicit. Hey, bitches. Hey, friends. How are you, Michael? I'm doing well. How are you, Carla? I'm good. So it would be remiss, even though this is not going to post in time, but... Two of our very loyal listeners have a birthday today. Happy birthday. So happy birthday both to Randy and to Dominique. We love you very much from Nosy Bees for Life. We appreciate you and we hope that you have a good year around the sun. Yeah. I mean, you get another trip, do something amazing with it, and you're friends with us. So that already makes it more amazing. Uh, Yeah. You're welcome. Seriously, happy birthday. This was one of our listener suggestions, and we've been talking about all night how grateful we are that this was the topic. I think, A, we needed something lighter, Carla. Like, we did. We did. Something that didn't involve children dying. I'm like, does Johnny Depp and Amber Heard have an update? Like, That's right, please. Can we, get, can we squeeze one more episode into it? That's right. I think four was plenty. Yeah, yeah, it was. Fair, fair. Thank you, Kenny. We are going to talk about Long Island Lolita. And Amy I, Fisher. Yeah, and what's weird is I don't know that I remember her as Long Island Lolita. I definitely knew Amy Fisher. But more importantly, I knew Joey Buttafuoco. That's right. 100%. My dad called me the other day and was like, can you please do something nice? And I was like, actually, like one of the cases we're working on, everybody survives. And he I mean, was like, this is... he was like, what do you mean? I was like, well, you know, there's like this attempt of murder. And he's like, that's not what I'm saying. Like, can there you just was do lifelong like... maiming. Yeah. He's like, can you just do a nice story? I'm like, that's. But that's like not what we do. Like, we are the intersection of pop culture and true crime dad. Yeah. He's like, who listens? You know, but anyways, I appreciate my dad listening to every story. And I appreciate that he like thinks that we should do a nice case. So I do think that this has a pieces of a good story. It really does. It's entertaining. I also, ooh, real quick before we dive into this, Carla, we have to celebrate this. Like, even though we will be long past it since like we actually air this episode but we crossed a thousand listens y'all we did we did oh my gosh i forgot all about that and that is all because of you so thank you thank you thank you listeners for sticking with us we're just figuring this out and we're having a lot of fun along the way and what makes it so much fun is getting to do it with you all getting those messages getting to discuss what cases you want to hear about that is the secret sauce it's why we do what we do so thank you for the listens Keep them coming. Tell your friends. I will quote two girls, one ghost. They talk about their like pyramid scheme. That's what I'm asking for too. Like if you're bought into what we're selling, go tell two other people and tell them to become part of the pyramid too. Michael, do, is this our MLM? <laughs> Maybe. We appreciate you for listening. And we know that we ask that you please go subscribe. Give us feedback. Like all us. The things. Help out the algorithms. Ugh. Praise to the algorithm gods. This case was something that, kind of like you talked about, I knew the name Amy Fisher from lore back in the 90s, right? But had never really dived into this. I think just like my age when this all happened, I was too young to really appreciate it for what it was. This this case was bananas, Carla. Bananas. Gwen Stefani level <laughs> bananas we're just obsessed with the 90s like it was definitely the coolest decade ever michael what were you in like preschool well when this <laughs> happened actually <laughs> i was five so okay i was 10 <laughs> <laughs> no you were not quite not quite you were eight <laughs> i was 10 92 yes <laughs> Oh. <laughs> Wish you guys could see the realization that Michael realized how old I am. I don't like I know it in theory, we've but I just think of ourselves we have we've had I've had margaritas, Carla's had wine, it's been a thing. But like I think of us as the same age. So I know. Carla, you I are you that. are thirty five. Okay. I'm gonna take that. So both of us are in preschool at this time. Sure. I think to kick us off, let's take us all the way back to explain the story that Mary Jo Buttafuoco and Joey Buttafuoco had. Love that. So back in the 70s, Mary Jo met a wild teen boy named Joey Buttafuoco. I actually debated whether or not that was his real name. <laughs> Is it like Long Island Lolita where they gave him a nickname, Buttafuoco? That sound just like stereotypically Italian. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But nope, that's his real name. So they date all through high school. And Mary Jo actually must come from a really good Catholic family. And I don't know that if Joey's family isn't necessarily 
quote unquote good, but maybe they're a little bit like more rough around the edges, maybe like money wise and stuff. But that's something that Joey says. Mary Jo came from this really good Catholic family. They date past high school and like most good Catholic families, they're starting to pressure this couple to get married because of course, abstinence until marriage. And for those of you that don't know what abstinence, that means no hanky panky, no hokey pokey, no nothing. I do not subscribe to this belief system. <laughs> I'm Catholic, so I totally understand. I don't necessarily agree with, but totally get where they're coming from. Mary Jo herself said that she also ended up pressuring Joey to pop the question because, of course, like every young Catholic girl wants to get married. It's how we go on to the next life. It's how you evangelize Jesus to the next generation, Carla. A (laughs) hundred percent. So Joey does. He falls right in line and he pops the question. And within a year, they're married in 1977. I think about this is like the American sweetheart story Mary Jo's working at a bank and Joey's working at his father's auto garage shop that his dad owned. And they ended up buying a house in Massapequa. All of this sounds like a Journey song so far. Oh. (laughs) A little bit about this area. It's on the south shore of Long Island in New York. It's a population now of about 75,000 people. I think it was a lot smaller back then. That's not a huge area too for... New York, it's considered like the true definition of a suburb. They actually talk about, I guess, friends mentioned it, that it's like this sleepy little town, but it's a fun bay town. I think where their house is, is like overlooking very close to the shore. Mary Jo describes that this time in her life is the best ever. Joey was beginning his best ever and he's partying hard and using drugs on a regular basis. The distinction there is, I guess, Mary Jo would recreationally or even on the occasion use drugs but she could just use it and then be done with it like never touch it again. there wasn't an addiction there, right joey really started to get almost hardcore into a regular use of some pretty heavy drugs um i think he was into cocaine and things like that so their first child jessica was born march 29th 1983 with a son soon to follow which they named paul So as their family started to expand, Mary Jo pretty much tells Joey, like, grow up, get rid of the drug or the family. Like, you have to decide. Good for you, Mary Jo, by the way. We've decided collectively. I did not coerce you into this. Ow. Like, good for you, Mary Jo. Yeah, and they had been together for about five years, which, I mean, they they probably got married pretty young. But they had been together for five years and decided, like, there's some interest. It wasn't like they got pregnant right away or started a family. They put some concerted effort around having a family and she's like all right time to grow up yep time to get in line and really the years just pass by and so they're they seem to be living this ideal on the shore happy life there's a 2020 special if any of you guys want to check it out that explain from the buttafuoco family it's called growing up buttafuoco and there's pictures of the family together when they were younger. There's actually a picture from Jesse's first communion and she's in a limo, which I just thought was so funny because I'm obviously Catholic and I had a first communion, but I, it definitely wasn't in a limo. The daughter describes her dad as the life of the party and that he really was a fun dad. If there were affairs before Amy Fisher, I feel like there probably was. But Mary Jo says that she had no idea. Like even looking back, knowing what she knows now, that she had zero idea of what was coming for her on that day, on May 19th in 1992, when Amy Fisher would show up at her door. Which, just before we get into the specifics of that day, really is saying something, because this is, again, a woman that has been through like a drug addiction with this guy, a guy that just really couldn't get his life together for a while. And I remember in this much later interview that we'll reference from 2018 with Megyn Kelly... Like, she even says part of what was going through her mind that day was, what did he get himself into this time? So it's not like she thought that Joey was a saint. It was just that overall she thought that he had been faithful. So this really kind of blindsided her. This guy kind of like exudes like that masculinity and 
I'm Joey Buttafuoco. Right. So I don't know. I just can't imagine that like the first person he has an affair with is this young teenage girl. Yeah. So if my spidey senses were correct, yeah. then I would say that this is probably not the first time that he steps out on his relationship. There's only one good person in this story. Like one. Right. <clears throat> so for we'll get to that, worth. but yeah. yes, there's we'll one good person in this story. <laughs> there's only one person who you f- can feel sorry for at <laughs> the end right. of the day. That's right. So before we talk about that day on May 19th, let's give you some background on Amy Fisher. So she was born August 21st, 1974. She's the child of Elliot and Rose Fisher. Her mom is Catholic and her father is Jewish. I can only imagine what type of rules. Oh, God. Also, I, I'm not sure. I don't know about, like, I wonder if one of them ended up having to convert. I'm not sure. Well, because so, like, her background difference. beyond Catholic, too, was, was English. And they didn't mention anything about dad. So I don't know if he was, like, Jewish religiously or Jewish culturally or both. I'm not, I'm not entirely clear on that. But it, it is an interesting question. Did one of them have to convert? Because both of them are very much like, we are Jewish. We are Catholic. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> it says that she grew up in a middle class home. The only thing I will say that like while she grew up in a middle class home, she still was a very pledged child as far as like she didn't want for anything. I don't think that money was ever really a big consideration for her. Maybe she wasn't driving a Mercedes Benz. I don't know like what was high luxury cars at that point in time. But she didn't want for anything. She pretty much had, I imagine, new dresses or clothes and things like that because she was an only child. Amy was also a pretty popular kid in high school. She seemed to be well-liked by her classmates. There's honestly not a lot of details about her life before this whole situation with Joey Buttafuoco. So like short of reading... Because she was a child. Yeah, she was. She was 16 years old. And short of reading her autobiography, which I'm just not going to do. So short of reading her autobiography, that's kind of like what we know about her story. Um, I'm nosy, but I'm just not that fucking nosy. When it just gets weird, we've we've had enough child drama over, yeah. you know, I'm not sure what order we'll release them in, but we recorded stories that included children in a row on this podcast. And I'm about childed out for yes. the tragedy yeah. stuff. I think just important though for everyone to note that she was a child because what we're about to describe gets kind of dicey. And it's the thing that I had to keep reminding myself of is this is a 16-year-old girl. And I use the word girl very intentionally. This was not a woman. This was a girl that had no idea what she was doing. And I think her behavior leading up to this really plays into the fact that she just was so young and immature. 100%. So there are some things that say that Amy Fisher had been sexually abused in what context or how often that happened or like how many times it had happened. Those details start to kind of get a little bit blurry, but it does appear that there was some type of sexual abuse that had happened to her prior to her meeting Joey Buttafuoco. So Amy turns 16 and her dad buys her a car. And like most 16-year-olds, Amy doesn't take long to crash or fender bend the hell out of it. So her dad takes the car to be fixed at none other than Joey Buttafuoco's Auto Garage Shop. I'm sorry, but if we had a garage shop where I was growing up that was run by someone with the last name Buttafuoco, that's where I would have gone too. Yeah. Like no one else can beat that. That's a perfect name. It sells itself. So close to the end of 1990, Amy Fisher meets Joey at his garage. And so due to her frequent car accidents, her dad tells Joey, fix it and just kind of charge me for it later. I want you to know that that's very not similar to the life that I grew up with. No. My dad would flip out. To this day, there are scratches on our vehicle that I will not admit to. Never, ever would he ever be like, yeah, just take it. Just I'll just pay for whatever. No. Also, just remember that the car was such a privilege growing up for us. I remember my sisters specifically. I got in trouble too, but I just learned from them how to hide it from my parents being the baby for sure but i remember them getting in trouble and that was the first thing being taken away so like certainly if they wrecked their car i'm sorry my dad would have been like ah no privileges for the next however many months that would not have flown so amy you really are privileged a little bit i am sly that while i had little siblings they were the reasons for any bumps on my vehicle legitimately i ran into a mailbox 
And I had a, a newer truck at the time and it like where the ding was seemed to match perfectly where handlebars, like the level you of handlebars. So... And so when it came out that there was a scratch and I think I had parked the car so that it would take the most amount of time for my dad to kind of figure it out. So then like I could live with the lie a little bit longer so it wouldn't come off so awkward. Yeah. So by the time he had asked me, which probably had been like three or four days, I was really committed to the lie. And I was like, oh, one of my, because I had little siblings at the time. And I'm like, oh yeah, they ran into it with their bikes. Yeah. That's what did it. And how's he going to be mad at that? Right. It was kind of brilliant. Yeah. But now you just told him. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. My dad's going to call me. (laughs) It doesn't matter how many years later. Close to the end of 1990, Amy meets Joey at his garage. And due to her frequent car accidents, that's how she meets Joe. She starts going there all the time. Now, some people will say it's kind of hard to whether who you believe or like what story you believe. But that Amy started to mess up her car on purpose. So that she could increase the frequency on what she was going to this auto shop. I I can imagine being 16. I think crushes are so irrational at that age. Like you're just trying to get their attention however you can. And I don't think too at that age that you're necessarily processing the age difference. Like all you know is I like this person and they must know that I like them and I must pursue them sort of thing. And I can remember like trying to make sure that I ran into somebody like in between classes or you know I had a boyfriend that I purposely left something in their car because he wasn't my boyfriend at the time so that he would have to like I had an excuse 100% to like oh hey by the way I left this in your car can you come back by or can you drop it off so that doesn't surprise me now this probably might be at a new level where you're crashing your car or scratching up your car in order to go see this guy at the auto garage show this shop. also makes me though wonder like back to the and I, I don't know if it has real interplay with it but what was the nature of her relationship with her parents at that point like we already know their allegations of sexual abuse to your point i'm not sure how many of those are true and like trying to get this attention of another person in such a big fashion does scream to me someone that maybe didn't get the level of attention at home that maybe they should have gotten for whatever that's worth. Yeah, well, especially her dad's kind of comment, like, just fix it and I'll pay it. Almost a little bit dismissive. And from a behavior-wise, like, maybe they just kind of were, like, over it a little bit. Just fix the damn thing. (laughs) Yeah, I'm, I'm tired of dealing with it. Maybe. So by the summer of 1991, Amy and Joey are engaging in a full-blown sexual relationship. And so just to kind of go back, Amy is 16 years old. This is called statutory rape, kids. It is. I was going to say. And Joey is 37 years old. It's funny because later he will tell people that she was his friend. I started thinking about it on the way here that like, you know, I'm 35, right? And... I don't have a friend that's 16 years old. Michael, do you have 16-year-old friends? No. No. And I don't know the last time I had a 16-year-old friend either. I was just going through in my head too. I am getting to that point in life where I'm not like we don't look like we did at 22 anymore, right? So it's, I know, it's really hard to swallow. I get this idea as as a man, like I'm not as attractive to these younger guys anymore and that it really does get under my skin before. Like, I feel like when I was 25, I didn't appreciate how easy it was to turn heads at that age because you're just young and pretty. And so (laughs) the world just opens up for you. So there was a part of me that was trying to be sympathetic to that. But the point you just made is the point that everyone should take home. Like, when I'm looking for younger guys to turn their heads, I'm talking like 25-year-olds. Like, I'm not... This is a child. She is 16 years old. She is a child. It's completely inappropriate. Until I just said it, I, like, had to stop and think, like, when was the last time that I had a friend that was 16 years old? I don't remember any teenage friend, like, even 19. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know that I had a friend at 19 that was 16. Right? Bullshit. They begin their relationship, right? Their sexual relationship. And putting so, big air quotes around Yeah, big air quotes. Yeah. So she'll tell people that she's completely enamored by this older man. She becomes obsessed with being with him. Somewhere after their relationship starts, Amy starts to use a beeper 
This was well before my time. I had a flip phone, but it was after I graduated high school. But beepers were long gone by the time that I was in high school. Like we weren't using them. I guess we just used nothing. But I nobody that I knew had a beeper. But I knew people like older cousins and family members that had beepers. But so she had a beeper. And at some point, she does begin to work at an escort service. Again, like depending on who you believe, one story is that Joey encouraged her, but other sources state that he either knew about it or maybe he did encourage her or this was something that she did on her own for cash. I mean, how this shakes out, regardless if it was Joey or someone else, I don't think that that is a thought that organically comes into the mind of a 16-year-old. Hey, if I go and solicit myself on the street, I can make a pretty good buck off of this. Someone suggested that to her at her suggesting things like, I need money. Someone said to her, hey, this is a great way that you can make money. So whoever that was, shame on you. Yeah, that's a very valid point that I don't know that I thought about. The details of why Amy ended up on Mary Jo's doorstep in 1992 really depend on who you believe. And I think a lot of this depends on, you know, do you think that Amy did it all on her own? Do you think that Joey had something to do with it? Yeah. So some will tell you that in the throes of passion, Joey put the idea to kill his wife, that that was one of the stories that Amy would say later on. I would say it's one of the stories that Amy would share later on. Others will tell you that it was really all Amy's idea. But however you get there, in 1992, Amy begins plotting to kill Mary Jo Buttafuoco. This is just so wildly different than my experience as a 16-year-old. I was not thinking about soliciting myself on the street. I was not thinking about killing someone. I have encountered a problem to something that I want. Let me get rid of the problem. This feels like an after-school special. Yes. This feels like a dramatized... Boy meets world. Like, yes. And that's probably why the media picked up on it. Like, that's probably why we all heard about it. That's probably, like, the sensational part of it is it doesn't even feel like a real thing. No. That people really... This was somebody's real life. What's crazy is when she decides that she... Whoever put the thought in, when Amy decides that she's going to kill... Mary Jo Buttafuoco, who does she start with? Where does she go to do that? Her freaking high school. Are because, you serious? Yeah, because that's what that's what you do. Like you're you want to find out, you know, you want to get some roughins, and so you're like, you know what, I'm gonna go over here to the local high school and see what kind of ideas wait, wait, they wait. have. I didn't I didn't read this, Carla. So <laughs> hold on. So like legit, she's just like, hey, classmate Johnny, you want to go knock someone off for me? Is that what we're legitimately she's asking her classmates to stalk and then she's trying to convince them she's literally trading sex for them to go and stalk Mary Jo, stalk the children, and she's asking them to actually kill her. Like, that is part of it, and I just, that blows my mind. That is a certain level of crazy. I've had teenagers twice now, and I don't, I can't imagine them, like, Finding, you know, a murder for hire at your local high school. I'm okay. Okay. So they do. She finds some people and there's, you know, a couple of... She actually founds Yes. They actually like start to stalk out Mary Jo and her kids. And actually like at one point in time, there's a story about, I think it was like close to Halloween, where they're stalking the house and... I guess the guy was supposed to go up to the door and he was like, no. So I don't, I guess she was trading sex for this. And so the guy was like, Mm-mm. and so he's like, I'm not going to go up there. So she goes up there and like knocks on the door and she's like, oh, I'm selling candy for like the band or something like that. And Mary Jo's like, it's Halloween. I've got a house full of candy. But you know, okay, fine. Whatever. It's for the high school. I'll buy it. So she, you know, gets like a dollar for the candy bar and Mary Jo actually says like after the girl left, she like turned it around and realized that it came from the grocery, there was a tag on it that came from the grocery store and she was like, she just, you know, got me for a dollar for nothing. She clearly wasn't selling this for a fundraiser or anything, but they were kind of doing these things, but it seemed like whoever she was picking, you know, if she was trading them for sex, she wasn't getting what she wanted in the end. And so I think that's probably what led her to 
feel like she needed to do it herself. I can only see that adding to the level of desperation when you've decided as that teenager that you want this thing. How sad that it was just other examples of probably mostly men in her life being completely willing to use her and her getting shit out of that situation. That just, that makes me very sad learning hard lessons at such a young age. There's so much there from that. And like, that's the part of it that makes you feel bad for Amy. Yes. So they definitely like walking into this situation. And there's some other things, you know, I, I don't know that the media necessarily portrayed her exactly. And, you know, maybe some would say like, that's, that's kind of what ended up in the end is because of this portrayal of her. And also the media can just be shitty in general. And it always blames the woman. I think it kind of goes back to like really truly here. There were some crappy things that Amy Fisher experienced, but there's really truly just one victim. And like, I guess that's the part that I want to feel bad for Amy. At this point in this story, though, I would say Amy is a victim. Yeah, you're probably Amy is absolutely a victim. Her motivations, whether or not she realized it at that age, are not her own at this point. She is a product of what other people have done to her at this point in her life. Like... While I'm I'm not suggesting that there should be no accountability at that level, like she's about to do something pretty awful. And like it was a child doing those things. There has to be an understanding that it was not with the full understanding of someone yours or my age, like knowing the full weight of the consequences of what you're about to do. This is someone that had been manipulated earlier on in life to believe if I give my body they're going to give me what I want. This is how I get attention. This is how I add value. This is all of these things. And nope, that's, they were happy to use her. No, Amy, you get what you want and then you give your body. That's right. You had a backwards boo. True lessons from Carla. (laughs) Amy decides to do it on her own. On May 19th, 1992, Mary Jo says like this morning stuck out to her because it was the first day that she let her kids ride their bikes to school themselves. We talked about with the Jacob Wetterling case. This is a big deal to parents. Kids are still pretty small at this age. Yeah. And so letting them right off to school, they're just like nine and eight years old at this point. And all the neighborhood kids are waiting for the Buttafuoco children to meet them. And the boy, Paul, for some reason, he's just very unsettled. And so he tells the kids, wait just a second, I'm going to go inside. And he tells his mom, he's something feels weird. And she's like, Paul, everything is fine. Like, it's time for you to go to school. Your friends are all waiting. Like, go off to school. Everything is fine. But she said, like, it really stood out to her later that he had come inside. And I don't know if he came inside twice, but I remember that it really just stood out to her that he kept saying something's weird, almost, you know, like an omen. Kids go off to school and she watches them right off and she goes to her backyard and begins painting a bench. So a little bit later, she's interrupted by a doorbell ring that she would answer and a brunette teenager who would tell her that her name is Anne-Marie, she's 19, and that her husband, Joey, was having an affair with her younger sister. Mary Jo, of course, very confused by the whole situation, was really just in complete disbelief. She said that the teenager looked really young herself. And so in her mind, she couldn't compute that her husband would be somebody younger than that. Right. That's kind of like how they came about her age and things like that. The teen offered up the auto body shirt as, oh, I found this in my sister's bed. This is proof of the affair. I just love Mary Jo for automatically sniffing out the bullshit. Yeah. Being like, okay, (laughs) what's, what's going on here? Like... Maybe some of what you're telling me is true right now, but I just want to point out that I smell something and like, what the hell are you talking about? Mary Jo is definitely like, stand by your man. Yes. So. That good Catholic girl. Yeah. It's funny. Like there were so many times that probably like you singing in my head, like stand by your man, like played over because she is definitely a stand by your man. And, And like she said later, she really had no idea There was no thought in her mind that her husband was having an affair. This doesn't feel good to her. It's not like she had an inkling and this person is saying something and she's like, yeah, I've had a feeling. It probably also zero idea. It probably also felt really unbelievable someone so young. Like it's one thing for your husband to have an affair with someone. It's something else 
for your husband to be having an affair with a teenager, especially after you've had this come to Jesus moment earlier in your relationship about get your shit together or I'm out, you know, like it probably, I can see why that wasn't computing for her. So this teen showing this auto body shirt as proof, Mary Jo really kind of just laughs and she says that she was very sarcastic and probably a little bit quip in their conversations. And eventually she's like, what do you want me to do about this? Like, I'm a good Catholic woman. And essentially she just turns to like go back to painting. She's over this whole conversation and she kind of just like laughs it off. So in that moment, really all of their lives, not just Mary Jo's, not just Amy's, their children, Joey's, all of their lives would forever change. Amy was branding a 25 caliber handgun and it fired point blank range at Mary Jo. And this is the other thing, like, this is stupid criminals. So you're going to a very crowded neighborhood. Uh huh. And you're going to go in midday, early oh. morning. Yep. You're going in a red Thunderbird, which is a pretty obvious car. You're yep. not driving like a Corolla or a Camry or something like that that's a little bit less obvious. You're driving a red Thunderbird. And you're going to fire a gun, which is very loud in a neighborhood. If you were to come out where I live in the country and shoot a gun, probably not a big deal. You're in a neighborhood and you shoot a gun and you're going to alert everybody in that neighborhood. Not to mention that the sight of a teenager wielding a gun is particularly shocking. But like, where the fuck did a 16-year-old get a 25 caliber? Yeah. Like, what? Dumb criminals. Yes, Carla. It really, I mean, but like- she's this, 16! Later it'll come out, like, there was obviously some forethought together. Her and Mary Jo didn't have an encounter, and she's like, oh, I've got this gun on me. I'm going to now shoot you. She clearly came to do that, but she's not a criminal mastermind. That's right. She's a very emotional teenager who was thinking out of sorts. She did not even put the simplest things together. Even though she had stalked Mary Jo. If I'm going to be honest, her stalking Mary Jo out, I don't think had to do with the fact that she wanted to kill Mary Jo. I think stalking Mary Jo out had more to do with the fact that she was in love with Joey Buttafuoco. 100%. And wanted to know about that relationship. Like, What does she have that I don't have? That kind of mentality. But I will it. say all of this stuff around the gun, though, I understand why a lot of people feel like this maybe wasn't completely free-form thought from Amy Fisher, that someone was assisting her with this or someone maybe even put her up to it. Where does a 16-year-old get a gun? Where? Like, so even if you have the idea, I want to get a gun, even then, where the fuck do you go get a gun? In New York City. I'm sorry. That is not something that you just come upon that someone else helps you get. Yeah. How did she even ride up to this house with a 25 caliber that was loaded in the first place? An adult was intervening here in some form or fashion. Oh, that's exactly what was happening. Because her friend Peter, and we'll never pronounce his name. He has like a... Peter G. That's what we'll call yeah, him. Yeah, <laughs> Peter G. So he's the one who got her the gun. And he's the one who drove... So I think, you know, again, dumb criminals. Amy's like, oh, I'm not going to drive my car because that'll be recognizable. But let's drive your red Thunderbird. <laughs> this Firebird's... No one's going to know. <laughs> yeah, no, nobody's going to know what that is. So she shoots Mary Jo in broad daylight in this neighborhood street so after shooting her, she would run to the getaway car, the Thunderbird, who was being driven by a male friend of hers, Peter. Because of the time of day that Mary Jo was shot, the neighbors hear the shot right away, and they see a suspect leaving in a very recognizable car. 911 immediately is called. Police and EMT get to work immediately. Joey Buttafuoco is called, and he's pretty much told to come home right away. And he comes home, you know, very unsuspecting, unknowing to what is going on to him, into pure chaos. There are police, there are rescue, emergency personnel, there's media, there's a medevac there that is airlifting Mary Jo to the nearest hospital. And so Joey and Mary Jo's family who live close to the area are racing to the hospital and that's when they're told that the bullet entered the side of her face. It landed at the base of the brain. It breaks her jaw and severs carotid artery. The family's told Mary Jo will probably be deaf and most likely will not recover. I mean, at that time, they weren't even sure she was going to live. No. And it's unknown if she would ever walk or really be normal again. Like, to your point, like, they're not sure if she's going to survive. But if she does survive, it's probably to not any normalcy 
that they're used to seeing her. They have to quickly decide, like, do we do surgery? And Mary Jo's mother, I think Joey at that moment was like struggling to figure out. And Mary Jo's mother was like, no, yes, do surgery, like save my daughter. And miraculously, Mary Jo survives. Yes, lots of complications that will follow her throughout her whole life. But she does survive, which is really just a miracle all by itself. The bullet, they're never able to remove, but she survives. And really what's more than that is she remembers. A couple of years ago, my son played football and had his first concussion in a football accident. And we went to the doctor. And what's crazy is the doctor would ask him to explain how he got the hit and he couldn't explain it. And not only that, but the night of the concussion, like he, he had a hard time even telling me what he ate for lunch. You could see that he was searching for the words. The fact that she could remember and could remember moments up to what happened is truly a miracle because people who just have concussions that are way less than that, like they don't remember. The police come in and they're talking to her and she can't speak, but she writes down 19 Anne-Marie auto body shirt. Again, dumb criminals. That auto body shirt is the first in its line of design. So as soon as she says it's the auto body shirt, Joey Betafuco knows that he only gave that to one customer, Elliot Fisher. Mm-mm. That's what he tells the police. Like, oh, I gave it to a customer of Elliot Fisher. Like this customer, Elliot Fisher, you know, I'm friends with his daughter, Amy Fisher. Again, who's friends with a 16-year-old if you're 37 years old? And why the fuck are you giving her clothing? Nobody. Nobody is friends. Well, they're friends of a certain kind, Right. Carla. Nobody is friends. And by the way, this Peter G. friend that we mentioned earlier, he worked at that auto body shop. That is how Amy knew him. So, like, just all sorts of things at this point are, are pointing directly back to our good friend Joey at this point. And, you know, we've kind of given the police or investigators a hard time over some of the missteps that they've taken in previous investigations. <coughs> John Bonet. Yeah. I will say, <laughs> Jacob Wetterling. Yeah. I will say these police officers are who I want on my case because they are putting it together right away. Oh, good. Thank you, law enforcement. Yeah. They are right on top of it. So immediately they are not smelling what. <laughs> Joey is putting together and they're like this doesn't seem right but you know what Joey go home and call Amy from your home phone and tell her that you want to meet up and of course immediately Amy is running out of her house and she's rushing to go meet Joey Buttafuoco and the police pick her up and they take her to the police station this is really where we start to see the first media pictures of Amy with the police and investigators. They take her in and they question her for the next 12 hours. And what's interesting is her parents are not there, nor are her parents notified. And I don't know what the rule is in New York, but her parents are actually terrified because this last this investigation lasts overnight. So the next morning, the parents are like, where is our daughter? And they're actually about to call the police and report her kidnapped. So this is another thing that does make me feel like some tinge of sorrow for Amy. She's already, we know, been taken advantage of by all of these adults, most of them men, that are just interested in her teenage body, not really interested in her as a person. The fact that these police officers, because I hear you, like, clearly better investigative skills than some of the other ones that we've yeah, covered. Yeah, you're right. But why are you holding a child overnight as part of an investigation without informing her parents? Shame on you. And this is this is a damaged child that has been through some shit. I, I have other opinions about Amy Fisher, the adult, but Amy Fisher, the 16-year-old, was done wrong by them doing that. That is not okay. Also, no way would my parents have waited 12 hours. There's no fucking way. My mom. My parents would be calling every hospital, every jail, yeah. every, everything. If I wasn't home by 10 p.m., I think also, too, like, that probably shows you that, like, a- Amy was probably free to go more so than most teenagers. Because if I wasn't home by 10 p.m., my parents were coming for me. If I wasn't home by midnight, 
my mom is probably calling in the National Guard. Like, <laughs> she has put out a full-blown yep. search party on me. If I'm not home by 6 a.m., no, that's not even a question. I'll be home. That's right. Yeah, somebody <laughs> would have returned me. I would have been home. Literally, they're about to call the police, and it's just at that time that the police call them, and they're like, it's time to get a lawyer. From this moment on, the media circus begins. We start to see pictures of Amy Fisher. The, we start to see pictures of Joey Buttafuoco. And really what's sad is, I think it's almost like because you survived, it's not really important of like what happened. Right, you were just maimed. You weren't killed. Yeah, it's not. This a, is fine. It's not a big deal because you were almost killed. You weren't actually killed where it would have been different. Mary Jo does say that it stopped being about me and it started becoming them. And becoming the story of this 16-year-old and this 37-year-old who had a relationship and not the fact that I was almost killed. This is also one of those times where I'm just, I'm really proud of where we've come to as a culture. Because there was a fair bit of blame and media shaming that was happening towards a 16-year-old, I'll say it again, to remind us all, uh, toward a 16-year-old girl. And you said this earlier, Carla, this idea that it's somehow always the woman's fault. Like, she's the Long Island Lolita. She somehow seduced him. She is a fucking child. He's a grown-ass man. Take responsibility and accountability for your own goddamn actions. Like, there should have been, and in today's world, there would be in the world of post Harvey Weinstein and all of this shenanigans, this guy would be called to task for having done that. Like how how dare we villainize this girl? And I it just makes you stop and wonder what what the ending of this case could have been had that been the reaction. Within a week, Amy is arrested and they're looking close to her bail hearing. The night before her bail hearing, a sex tape was purchased by current affairs i think it was like for eight thousand dollars it was something so stupid the incredulous that a 30 year old man i won't even name him he's so disgusting would sell a sex tape with a 17 year old girl i don't even know how that's illegal it's child pornography a hundred percent like we said earlier it is sex trafficking and shame on the publication that purchased that and I don't even know what to say to that. That is just so ridiculous and gross. Like, let's make a buck off of this man sexually abusing a child on video. That's a great idea. Let's go do that. I can't imagine any, like, reputable news purchasing a sex tape these days. And if they did, it would be of an adult. It would be like a Kim Kardashian kind of thing. Like, not... Yeah, because this definitely was, like... The Perez Hilton of tabloid news. Current right. affair was it was garbage. It's tabloid not even around is the anymore. Right word for it. Yeah, yes. it's it's pretty garbage. The prosecutor Fred Klein says essentially that Amy was a prostitute who stalked Mary Jo for months, and he charges her with attempt second degree murder, first degree assault, and a host of other firearm related felonies, and asks for a record breaking two million dollar bail 1992 again like we talked with like john benet like how much money seven million dollars was yeah so two million dollars I mean, this would have been triple right. in today's money i mean so we're talking six seven million dollar bail yeah and not to take away what she did but she didn't actually kill anybody it definitely felt that's kind of why it was record-breaking is that he essentially was throwing everything at her that he had and was treating it like she had killed somebody. The media was just insane and wanting to know like all the juicy details. What does Joey Buttafuoco do? But he meets the need that everybody wants and he calls Howard Stern to deny that he had anything to do with Amy. He had anything to do with Mary Jo's attempt on her life and that he's completely innocent. There were choices made here, right? You could have been home comforting your wife, who has literally been shot in the face, whose paralyzed, jaw is broken and is partially, face. that's right, is partially paralyzed, may not live, certainly will never be the same again. But let's just call up our old friend Howie and shoot the shit with him and the level of fame chasing and the level of 
selfish bullshittery that that displays to me, I cannot even put into words. Oh, Joey. I just think like you're not going to call like Barbara Walters or like Larry King. Or Oprah or like. Right. To say that you're innocent, you're going to call Howard Howard Stern. Stern. That's right. That just shows you like the level that he was at, that he was really just trying to make himself look popular. The press, they swarm him and he doubles down. Like, I did not do anything. I didn't kill my wife. I I did not have sexual relations with that woman. Yes, did not have sexual relationships. And Mary Jo, she is standing by her man. She says, I love my Joey and my Joey loves me. It's the American sweetheart dream marriage i just is it (laughs) no stand by your man the judge refuses to lower her bail her lawyer is like you know what great idea then i'm gonna take to the media and i'm gonna sell amy fisher's story to help with bail money a little law note in 1977 son of sam law said that no criminal or defendant can sell their story for profit however six months prior to Amy Fisher committing this attempt of murder, this law was found unconstitutional. She was, in fact, able to sell her story to help with her bail money. And that is how she was able to make bail. Mary Jo Buttafuoco, rightfully so, is furious. She turns around. This is going to feel very Johnny Depp, Amber Heard. She turns around and sues Fisher in a civil suit for $100 million dollars. Meanwhile, they are also selling their interviews. And that part as far as like Mary Jo selling her interview, that doesn't seem like a far-fetched thing to me because you can only imagine the type of medical expenses and things like that that she has. And so I imagine like people in this limelight that they generally are paid for the interviews that they're doing. So that immediately, I think some of the selling of interviews that they do later might make me raise my eyebrows a little bit. Um, but the fact that Mary Jo is is profiting on what I, her recount of what happened to her, like I'm not going to hold that against her. Her adult recount as victim of the crime. Like for me, I, I personally have no issue with that. I've just met literally someone tried to shoot my face off. The least you can do is pay me a little bit to tell the story. Like, I don't know. Yeah. And I mean, I appreciate that people are looking to get Mary Jo's side of the yes, 100%. story from that because that's not always a thing. Push forward September 23rd, 1992, almost 20 years ago, um, Amy Fisher pleads guilty to a lesser charge of reckless assault. Mary Jo obviously- That feels right, by the way. Yeah. Mary Jo was furious at the plea deal. So this is what's interesting. A lot of time- prosecutors before they take a plea deal they will often talk to the victim or to the victim's family i guess they didn't in this case i know that's not consistent across the board but that is something that sometimes happens she's furious with the situation in the meantime the police have not forgotten about joey buttafuoco and they have not forgotten about the story that amy is just a friend and they continue to look at things and they do find some motel receipts that show that Amy and Joey were in a hotel. But that's kind of all they find. They don't find anything that ties him to Mary Jo's attempt on her life. Maybe the 25 caliber didn't belong to Joey Buttafuoco and all of this. But is there no focus on why was this 37-year-old man checking into a hotel with a 16-year-old? I get that you have a murder on your hands, but can we focus just a little bit on child welfare? Just a little bit? Instead of demonizing this girl, can we, like, can someone help her? Anyone? Can someone help her? It really just seems to get worse. Amy is charged, and she does apologize, but she's doubling down that Joey Buttafuoco was involved in this. So the judge, quote, tells Amy Fisher, you are a disgrace to yourself, your family, and your friends, and he gives her the max sentence which is five years to 15 years. I I get it from the judge's perspective. Here is a person who clearly did something. She pleads guilty. But I think also to, to just take away the fact that this grown man, not just him, but multiple men have taken advantage of her and maybe count that into the fact that like, hey, you have not had a good life up to now and you have not made good decisions. And so the time that I'm going to give you and the sentence I'm going to give you 
take that and do something with your life. That's right. Like do something better. Think about this over the next few years and figure out how you don't be here again. I, I guess I just wish that there were some types of words of encouragement because again, it is a 16 year old girl and I have a 16 year old and I just, it's like worlds apart. I don't even understand this reality that Amy Fisher's in. But to that point, can you imagine your 16 year old being held accountable for very adult decisions that I I know your child to be very bright, to have a good head on their shoulders and an adult they are not. Right. Fully responsible and accountable to their decisions. They are not. That's why they are still your child living under your roof. I'm thinking about Amy's parents and how completely torn and bound they must have felt by this entire situation. They're literally watching their daughter's entire life and her future be ripped to shreds right in front of them. Oh, I'm sure. Like their hopes and their dreams and all of those things. Yep. So Amy is charged the Buttafugos are very happy with the verdict and they take the opportunity to once again tell the media like Amy Fisher is a liar. But the trouble does not end there. Sure doesn't. So April 15th, 1993, so probably about four or five months later, Joey Buttafuoco gets charged with six counts of statutory rape. There we go. Law 12 counts of sodomy and one count of child endangerment. He pleads not guilty. And Mary Jo continues to stand by her man. Mary Jo gets an undisclosed amount. Remember from that lawsuit where she turned back and she did the Amber Heard thing. Like, okay, boo-boo, I got you. We never know how much she gets, but she does get an undisclosed amount, not only from Fisher, but also from the getaway driver. Really, this kind of gets to the point where Amy Fisher goes to jail is in jail for a while and then Joey Buttafuoco he goes to jail too for his crimes of statutory rape I will say at the time of the sentencing Mary Jo really just never felt from Amy that was one of the things that really bothered Mary Jo is that she never felt like Amy had remorse for what she did while she apologized and she still doubled down that Joey had involved she just felt there was no true remorse or sorrow or like what she had done to Mary Jo. That's really what bothered her. Amy does get released from prison on May 10th, 1999, after serving seven years of her sentence. And part of that, Mary Jo plays an integral part of it. Amy Fisher does eventually say, you know what, this isn't Joey's fault. Like I made this decision and I did this and I am sorry for it. And... Mary Jo says that, like, you've been given a second chance in life, and I pray that you'll take it with it, and, like, you'll do something positive from it. Did you say seven years is how yeah, long she ended up serving? how long she did. So, you know, like, to a certain extent, I still have all the issues with Amy Fisher being put away for such a long time for a crime that was committed as a child. And, like, at this point, she's only 23, she really does still have her whole life ahead of her. So there's a part of me that's like, you know, that's wise advice, Mary Jo. So like they're all out of jail at this point. In 1999, Mary Jo is still married to Joey Buttafuoco. It's yeah. not until I think 2003 that she eventually, and later she will say he's a sociopath. I believed everything he said, but he is a liar and he, you know, believes everything he says and that he completely manipulated her. And I watched an interview of them, maybe it was the Megyn Kelly, like just a few years ago, and she kind of said that like her and Joey were in a good place. They, they're cordial. They yeah, raise their cordial. kids. They, they have grandkids. Kids. Yeah, That's right. that they can get along, but that she's moved past that. And obviously she had forgiven Amy Fisher a long time ago. It's funny because Mary Jo wrote a book, Amy Fisher wrote a book, and so they did continue to have these media appearances. And after Amy Fisher gets out of jail, I did read somewhere that she was doing one of those MTV, I think they called it like celebrity boxing. Yeah, celebrity celebrity death matches. Yeah, or something, something like, like that. that. Yeah. And I guess she was set up, and I do remember this part. She was set up to fight Tanya Harding. I don't know if it was her lawyer or her parole officer was like, 
that is not a good idea. What are you thinking? No. She's thinking dollar dollar bills. She was thinking, I don't have any money. But also, Tanya Harding would have kicked your ass. Even if 100%. Sorry. Don't come at her. Yeah. You would not have made I it. I skate to the face. Yeah. <laughs> like, There's like all these. They did a reunion show. She was on Celebrity Rehab. They were constantly on Howard Stern. And not only were they on Howard Stern, but the son really later, he drops off. He wants nothing to do with all of the fame and things like that. Yeah. Like he completely drops off. But the daughter, even at one point in time, she calls into Howard Stern. I guess one of the times that Amy Fisher was on Howard Stern. I think they must do like a custody arrangement with Howard Stern, who's going to be on Howard Stern one night. But she starts to argue with Amy Fisher on Howard Stern about it. And like, part of me is like, you guys missed the opportunity to get Jerry Springer or something like that. You weren't even there. I was there with yeah. your father. Like, what? Yeah. Amy Fisher now, from what I know about where she is now, I think she is back in Long Island, and you can actually find her on the internet. But they call it Cam Girl. So she's doing internet porn. Is that what we're calling it? I mean, sure. Okay. But is like the live stuff, like not even pre-recorded. Only? Like, like OnlyFans? I, I don't think it was quite... It doesn't sound like it's quite that high tech. It sounds like she's on one of those bigger cam sites. She's just one of their many girls. Yeah. 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 It definitely sounds like whether or not she's turned her life around, I'll leave that up to Amy Fisher to tell the story. I don't know that from her release or from any other, like anything after her release that she has shown this like great amount of remorse for what she did to Mary Jo. I watched an interview with Mary Jo I don't know if it was Oprah or if it was the Megyn Kelly, probably both of them. But she's very positive. She's like, you know, while I survived, I still have a lot of medical issues, but I am doing things to be advocate for women. She's doing a lot of positive things for their life. She's enjoying her family, her grandchildren. And when she talks, even in her relationship with Joey, she talks about it. She's very positive. And to me, I like it. So I'm going to count Mary Jo as the hero of this story. Only one good guy. I feel like, I mean, Joey is Joey Buttafuoco. Like, he is what he is. I I did see an interview with him as a much older man where he had very little to say about his relationship with Amy Fisher. He just said it was inappropriate, and I'll just leave it at that. I do think he probably owes himself, his wife, his children, the world, a little bit more accountability than that. But for the most part, though, he seemed to have settled into an older man, into a family man, you know, for whatever that's worth. I think he'll probably always be a little bit of a attention whore. But actually, I don't think he's the horrible person I felt like he was in 1992. There's only one good guy in this story, but I don't know that there's a true bad guy. Oh, yep. And some of of that, by the way, is back to something you kind of joked about earlier, but I think it's true. There was no criminal mastermind in this story like no one was in this plotting revenge on someone else that's not what happened here like realistically this was some dirty old approaching 40 year old man that was enjoying attention from a teenage girl completely inappropriately did inappropriate things but never like never do i think for a second i don't buy into this idea that he tasked amy fisher out with putting a hit on his wife. I, I don't, don't I don't, I don't think that happened. Mm-mm. I don't. I think he was an idiot that made some really, really bad choices. And I do believe he probably wanted to move on from it. And I, I, I hope, I need to hope for humanity that he felt some remorse for the situation he put his family in. Amy Fisher too. It's so easy to make her a bad guy. And it's so easy to look at her life now and be like, oh, cam girl. And she's just into this adult world. And she's what's wrong with society. Fuck that shit. We made her into that. The media circus on Morbid, when I was listening to their take on this, they referenced Britney Spears right along with this. And I think it's the same kind of trap that we're falling into where we want to demonize these these girls that don't even know what sexuality is, but we're perfectly happy to wield it for them. We're perfectly happy to teach them before they're ready to learn about it, what sexuality is. And we're happy to use their bodies and we're happy to to put them on display and then give them the fucking short end of the stick. It pisses me off. I don't know. Some of my heart still goes out to Amy Fisher. I don't like where she ended up as an adult. You know, the all of the people, even at this point in their lives, that talk about her kind of paint her as this narcissist. And I have to believe that there's something right about that. 
I still just feel really awful about how that started. No, I agree. I mean, we've said it before in many cases, like nobody's all good and nobody's all bad. I also just like enjoyed some of the shenanigans of this case and how crazy the media was for it that they painted a 16-year-old statutory rape victim as the Long Island Lolita. I think it's great that we could look back at something from the early 90s and be like, yep. Everyone survived. No one died. (laughs) I feel accomplished. (laughs) Thank you again, our listener Kenny, for suggesting this story. This was so much fun to research and even more fun to tell over wine and margaritas. Yes. (laughs) So if you guys please do, we've had a few people reach out to us with some different things. We'll try to do maybe something a little bit dark and maybe something a little bit different and we'll try to keep it interesting. But until next time, bitches. Bye. Bye. Hey, you made it to the end of the podcast. And while we love to provide our unsolicited feedback on, well, just about everything, it's always important that we try to stay kind, stay curious, but of course, stay nosy. Bitches. Bitches.